I want to emphasize, I really do believe we're in a war right now. We're in a war of disinformation, of uh, getting, getting people to be locked down in their homes, which is a known torture, torture tactic. They want people basically, here's what they want. They want you poor as hell. They want you dependent on the government. They want you dependent on the grocery store. They want you not owning a home. They want you completely dependent on their system. And Bitcoin is the fastest way out of that. Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Basics podcast. We have a very special episode today. We have a special guest. But before we get into that, let's do our proof recording. The current price of Bitcoin is 55,730 US dollars. The current block height or block number of the Bitcoin blockchain is 679,814. So today is Tuesday, the 20th of April, 2021. So with that out of the way, I'm here with Faris, my co-host and co-partner with coincompass.com. Before I hand over to Faris, we have a new website, bitcoinbake6.help. So go there for all your Bitcoin-related needs. We have a help desk. We have our social media platforms and whatnot there. Everything all in one place. So Faris, I found this interview with Andrew Howard from Bitcoin Reserve absolutely fascinating. Uh, A young guy, as we eventually found out. Uh, What did you make of it? Oh, yeah, it was incredible. So, yeah, Andrew's quite a young guy, but the life he's led is fascinating. I mean, we told him at the end of the interview, he should write a book. Um, He was a Marine in the United States, um, living overseas now. And, yeah, just for someone his age, what he's experienced and what he knows about Bitcoin. So, I mean, we talk a lot about politics, international relations, the world under COVID, lockdown. Um, Yeah, we said at the end, we'll have to have him back for another interview simply because of the different things that we covered and we just want to go into more depth. So this was a really good fun one. Yeah, it sure was. And I really like it when a guest isn't sort of scratching the surface. Andrew is a, is a deep thinker and you can kind of see that he's pondered and thought about a lot of these concepts and issues. And sometimes he knows and sometimes he doesn't know. And so he's quite honest with uh, his opinions. So without further ado, here's the interview with Andrew Howard from Bitcoin Reserve. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. Well, hi, Andrew. Uh, Thanks for joining us on the Bitcoin Basics podcast. How about we start with who are you and um, get into your Bitcoin uh, history later? Yeah. uh, Thanks, Dan, for having me on. Super excited. Uh, Who I am, I'm, well... I mean, I, my, my title, my professional title is CBDO, Chief Business Development Officer, Bitcoin Reserve. And uh, Bitcoin Reserve is, you know, if you think of the word, the words Federal Reserve and then just replace the federal with Bitcoin, that's that's us. And uh, we're basically a, a Bitcoin only brokerage for high net worth individuals and family offices and uh, companies um, all throughout the European region is really where we where we specialize. So um I'm also a Bitcoin advisor for a family office company named Simple. 
and I write articles for them and I speak with, you know, high net worth individuals and family offices about why uh, this thing is such a big deal and why it's going to hurt you in the long run if you continue to ignore it. So, um, and I mean, as on a more personal level, I'm, I am a uh, former Marine turned anarcho-capitalist who has renounced all of his militaristic beliefs and learned about how central banking significantly affects the ability for nation states to wage wars, which I am staunchly against now. Oh, we'll, we will definitely get into that. Um, but just going back, so so Bitcoin Reserve, it's about as federal as the Federal Reserve, although you guys probably have reserves as well. Or do, do you guys take custody of Bitcoin? Or it, tell us about Bitcoin Reserve. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, we have reserves in, in real money. And uh, yeah, that's correct. I mean, I, I guess technically we are as, as federal as the Federal Reserve, just like the Federal Express. I'm just a private company. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically we, uh, like, like I mentioned, you know, we, we help people in Europe uh, buy and sell large amounts of Bitcoin. Um, and we really want to focus on Bitcoin. We don't want to, you know, we feel that there are other companies in the space who have been around for a long time, like Coinbase, uh, that just are clearly not, not that pro Bitcoin. I mean, Coinbase has what, like 4,000 Bitcoin in their, in their treasury. That's absolutely nothing. That's like an insulting amount of Bitcoin to have as your treasury if you're that big of a company. So, um, yeah. So Andrew, you mentioned, um, Bitcoin reserve is Europe, not European based, but European operational. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Um, we have a global footprint. You know, we can work with countries outside of Europe as well. But uh, you know, the government has to find a way to make things more difficult. And with Bitcoin companies, often the major break of success is, or really any crypto company, is uh, you know your specialization and jurisdictions and your banking options as well. Because um, as you guys are aware, the FATF and, and other regulatory agencies are are definitely making things significantly more difficult. Well, we've come across that in several countries. Um, yeah, it seems that Southeast Asia is the one that's the most friendly. Um, and I suppose it's jumping into the heavy stuff now, but um, uh, article you wrote, which we can link to, and something that people listening to this podcast will be familiar with is that countries that have suffered a collapse in their currency. So thinking of Venezuela, specifically Bolivia, sorry, not Bolivia, somewhere else I'm thinking of, but now Turkey, we're seeing a collapse in their currency. These countries are, or people of these countries are starting to think, I need to get out of my fiat currency. Um, is this something that you're starting to see as well as people just appreciating the decentralized nature of Bitcoin and the fact that it's the world's first non-diluting currency? I mean, from what I can tell you, I have a friend of mine who's uh, in Nigeria, and I believe Nigeria is the number one country to adopt uh, cryptocurrency and I believe Bitcoin the fastest. And their currency is is rapidly inflating. Um, I have a couple friends who grew up in Venezuela and said that the only way they were able, lucky enough to get out is because of Bitcoin. Um, or having some sort of foreign, you know, some sort of access to foreign money. But uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you think about 
the, the state of the world right now. So according to the Institute of International Finance, the world is in $277 trillion in debt. Um, clearly that's not sustainable. And if you look at other countries in the past who have suffered from massive inflation, Venezuela is obviously the most, most uh, used example, but there are many others as well. Um, they are the quickest to adopt Bitcoin. And so, you know, if you look at the global debt, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to see that, okay, eventually, unfortunately, the entire world is going to have this, this issue. There's never been a situation in history where, you know, fiat currency has been inflated this much and there was not a, a major repercussion to doing so. Um, so this is extremely bullish. I don't know how this is not bullish for Bitcoin. Um, and I think that the world as a whole will follow the example of what smaller countries have done that are facing hyperinflation. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as, I, I don't know where you want to go from here, but I know one of the main topics was uh, how this cycle differs from the last. I mean, <laughs> the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars right now and literally giving it via direct deposit to people's bank accounts. So if that's if that's not some form of socialism, I don't know what is, and uh, I don't know how how any rational human being could think this is sustainable. Uh, and basically, I, I think Bitcoin is the the reset. You know, it's it is a perfect transition from an inflationary monetary policy policy to a deflationary mon monetary policy. Um, so that's that's just my thoughts on uh, on how debt can influence and influence adoption, um, and a little bit of of how this cycle can can differ from the previous one. Yeah, and that's something that uh, for listeners, when we're talking about inflation, to me there are different types of inflation. One is wage inflation, which we are not seeing. As your wage is going up, which is not happening, but we are seeing other forms of inflation. So, for example, we're seeing. Um, in products, the price of products is actually going up. It's not going up in the price tag, but you're getting less ketchup in your bottle, for example, even though the price is the same. But I'm in New Zealand, and just in one week, I've received two emails from uh, services that I subscribe to saying our prices are going up, and it was quite significant. So um, and it's amazing to me that the price of petrol is, or oil is where it is, considering we're still in the you know midst of a global economic shutdown. So this, what is my concern is that we are seeing wage um, stay the same, but inflation for goods and services is going up. And as you mentioned, what people really need to learn to appreciate is that when you provide more supply of something, demand stays the same. And I'm talking about fiat currencies here. Its value will intrinsically go down. Uh, Gordon, I know you don't like me using the word intrinsically, so don't correct me. I'll correct myself. <laughs> but yeah, so there this is no is such where... thing as intrinsic value. <laughs> oh boy, I've got Good two men against me now. Okay, <laughs> stereo, stereo sound. Um, all right, so yeah, I mean, I very much like Bitcoin for this, but so why let's say why use bitcoin and not gold or why buy bitcoin and not commodities the price of lumber is absolutely going through the roof so in an inflationary world why use bitcoin yeah basically because uh gold has in my opinion turned into a shit coin uh it had a good run it had like six thousand years um but i i think it's over i think it's um 
I mean, we had the C, C what was it? The, let me look this up. The CIO of uh, BlackRock. Let me find this. He has a quote. Yeah, here we go. So the, the CIO of BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset manager, 8.6 trillion in assets under management, uh, said, do I think it's a durable mechanism about Bitcoin? Said, do I think uh, it will take the place of gold to a large extent? Yeah, I do because it's so much more functional than passing a bar of gold around. And we have a global economy. And uh, the whole reason we had this, this situation in 1944 with Bretton Woods, where basically the entire world pegged its, their currencies to the US dollar is because the US dollar was based off of gold, but it's just not logistically possible to have a global economy on a, a, a gold standard that can last forever because you have to have trust in a third party. You have to trust that your gold's stored safe somewhere, it's being transported somewhere. Also the cost of, of sending it alone is just not feasible whatsoever. Um, and then if you, Michael Saylor brings up a really great point that I like. He says, you know, if you were to think of a year where gold should have seriously, uh, you know, risen in value, it should have been 2020. Because 2020, I mean, gold is, is historically seen as a safe haven asset. And then that's what happened in the seventies, the early seventies, there was massive inflation. Gold went up by like, I believe 698% that year, um, six to 700%, I believe in the seventies. And right now, I mean, you 2020, you had, I believe it was 30% of US dollars of all US dollars in circulation were created in the year 2020. Um, so, I mean, gold depreciation, let's compare it. In 2020, gold had a return of 28% and Bitcoin had a return of 695%. So it's, it's, the difference is laughable. Um, I think that for older generations, this is very scary, obviously, because they're not as, they didn't grow up with, with a phone in their hands or a computer screen or anything like that. But for the uh, millennial generation, I think this makes much more sense. And just logically, uh, Anytime a new technology that's disruptive comes about, it's a really bad idea to ignore it. So I, I, I just think it's the difference is night and day with Bitcoin and gold. We obviously totally agree. And it's interesting you say that because I was having a conversation with some of my friends and, you know, they're fairly well educated. But two points you brought up. One was um, they don't really understand Bitcoin, therefore they want to buy gold or silver. And the other one was they're afraid of the volatility. So what would you say to someone who um, is afraid that, you know, that, that Bitcoin will go down 20% overnight and they just don't understand Bitcoin, so they're just not going to buy it? Uh, yeah, well, that's, that's a really good question. I would say that's probably the biggest hesitation for people to buy Bitcoin is, is the fear of the volatility. Um, yeah, so I, I, have a, I have a couple different answers, but one of the major ones is it is volatile. I acknowledge that, but at the same time, if it's volatile going up a lot, then that's probably a lot better than an investment that's uh, not as volatile, but decreasing in value like fiat currency or um, I guess stocks are considered not as volatile right now, but they definitely are extremely volatile. Um, and another, another thing I would say is if you're buying Bitcoin, you shouldn't think about this as something that's going to get you rich overnight. 
it has gotten a lot of people rich overnight. And I'm not denying that. But at the same time, this thing typically goes in four-year cycles. And if I'm helping somebody buy Bitcoin and they just ask me, you know, how long should I hang on to this thing? Ideally, you want to hang on to it for the rest of your life and take a loan on it. But, um, you know, I, I understand people want to sell it and have uh, an, an improved quality of life. And I would say just to, to have a long-term time horizon. And that's one thing you see with a lot of people who get involved in Bitcoin is, you know, they they learn about the, the phrase from Austrian economics uh, of low time preference, of delaying instant gratification. And uh, I think Bitcoin really encourages this. You know, there's an entire community and ethos around just buying it, holding it, not selling, planning for your future. Um, and this is extremely different from the effects that fiat currency has on society, because what fiat currency does to society is uh, it, you know, as a result of it, it decreasing in value instead of Bitcoin, that's maybe volatile, but increasing in value. It makes people raise their their time preference. So they need things immediately. The Federal Reserve lowers interest rates. Right. And that gives people more of an incentive to, get, to take out loans and spend more and Stupid Keynesians think this is good for the economy somehow. And um, so I think the cultural difference, if you were to take a Bitcoiner, you know, and they're, they're, they're the average Bitcoiner's lifestyle versus somebody who's maybe just your typical millennial, not really caring about investing, just the fiat lifestyle, the difference is absolutely massive. So. Yeah, there's, and there's, Key points that you brought up there, I kind of want to dig into. But one is you mentioned. Um, so I think, and what I really want our listeners to appreciate is Bitcoin. A yeah, it is very volatile on the way up, but um, you do need to see it as a network effect, as this is a new technology that people are using. And if you look at the adoption rate of any technology, it is volatile to begin with. Um, you know, we had a lot of failures. So for example, no one's using Blu-ray and HD DVDs, all this kind of stuff, but it leads to something. Um, but also the main thing is, it's just to get out of fiat currency because it is, it devalues in nature. But I did see a report recently that China's going to remove, uh, sorry, move to a digital currency. Um, and that if you don't use the one in your wallet, they have an expiration date. So you can actually lose money if you don't spend it. So we have moved from a society that encourages saving to one that has to encourage consumer spending. Um, and you did mention um, just like early on 2017 as a different bull market. Sorry, this is a different bull market to 2017. Do you mind going into that a bit, Andrew? Why is this bull run a bit different? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just real quick before, I think you brought up a really good point. Like this is a new, technology and and just real quick another response to the volatility is how could you possibly expect something to have stable value if it's going to literally replace so many and render so many different industries obsolete and it's only like what a little over 10 years old how can this not be volatile it, it's it's experiencing price discovery so um but uh moving on to your question about how this cycle differs from the last i would say one of the biggest differences is actually political and um, if I'm just going on my notes here, I mean, like I said earlier, the Federal Reserve uh, in 2017, 2016, 2017 was not printing nearly the amount of money as they are now. And they were obviously a lot more, uh, 
little more secretive about it too. But uh, you know, now, like I said, the Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars and openly talking about it and uh, giving it to people through their bank account through a direct deposit, which is just nuts. Um, and it's it's a fairly obvious thing to see. Like, okay, if they're just printing an infinite amount, uh, infinite amount of dollars, then how can these things hold value over time? And as far as uh, you know, other other politicians getting involved. I mean, we have the mayor of Miami who literally said that he wants Miami to be the Bitcoin capital of the nation. Okay, which is huge. Uh, you have a senator from Wyoming, Cynthia Loomis, and she's a Bitcoiner, like very clearly a Bitcoiner. Uh, Canada already has an ETF for it. And uh, yeah, what else? You have Re Republican uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. I'll just read a quick quote from him. He said, they tried to ignore it to make it go away. And then he said, uh, they should not ignore it. This is something that those who regulate those who are not, those who are in government that make policy better start understanding what it means for the future because other countries are moving forward, especially China. I do not want America to fall behind. I want the next century to be ours. That's why I want to look forward, not backwards and keep my head in the sand. Um, you did not have politicians saying anything like that in 2016 or 2017. I mean, that, that is a very good deal. And uh, that's another huge piece of FUD is what if the government bans it? Um, I don't think that's possible at this point. <laughs> I mean, uh, corporations too. I mean, I'll, I'll get into the corporations too, which as I, as I read these corporations, it may be worth it to ask yourself, is it really in the government's incentive to just directly ban all of Bitcoin at this point. Um, so May, you know, you had, you had Paul Tudor Jones, who's the billionaire, renowned billionaire hedge fund manager. He said, we are witnessing the great monetary inflation and unprecedented expansion of every form of money, unlike anything the developed world has ever seen. Um, and then in August, uh, you have MicroStrategy make their first round of investments, and they're one of the largest uh, business intelligence companies on the planet, and they have billions of it now. You had Square purchase it after that. Uh, you know who the CEO is the, the the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, who's also a Bitcoiner. Um, Stone Ridge Holdings Group in October. Uh, the CEO said of, of Stone Ridge Holdings Group said, from an investment perspective, we've long viewed Bitcoin as superior to cash. And now with unchecked and unbacked global paper money printing and real yields increasingly negative, uh, our company's more than 10,000 Bitcoin are the principal component of our treasury reserve strategy. Next, you have Mode Global Holdings, uh, holdings publicly traded company in the UK. Uh, they talked about same thing, low interest rates uh, with the Bank of England's 326 year history. They said their confidence in the long-term value of Bitcoin has only increased. And then we've got PayPal adopting it. We've got analysts from Citibank saying it's going to go over, you know, six figures easily. Analysts from JP Morgan saying it's going to go up easily to two or 300,000. So how could you possibly think that at this point, Bitcoin is going away? It's just, uh, it's not going to zero, guys. It's not. So, and this is, this is huge. This is much different from the last, uh, last cycle. Did you know we provide a Bitcoin help desk? Visit coincompass.com forward slash help. 
For example, do you need help buying or selling Bitcoin on an exchange, withdrawing profits to your bank account, or transferring your Satoshis to a Bitcoin wallet? Perhaps you need assistance with setting up a desktop mobile or Bitcoin hardware wallet. How about upgrading your security hygiene by implementing InfoSec, cybersecurity, and OpSec, privacy, best practices to protect your investments and your identity online? These are only some of the things we have already helped both individuals and businesses with. We give advice, support, and a white glove service no matter the size of the investment or level of your technical ability. Visit coincompass.com forward slash help for all your Bitcoin related needs. No, we are, yeah, we are absolutely saying that. Just the, uh, and people who were very anti Bitcoin to begin with are now saying, okay, we get this. Um, and so I think, yeah, as you mentioned, Andrew, I think politicians are going to come around and go, okay, this thing's not going away. Let's start taxing, taxing trading profits and taxing it because we are seeing um, Bitcoin haven countries pop up, you know, come here and we won't tax your Bitcoin profits. Um, with the large head funds coming in, and these guys have a lot more money to buy and sell Bitcoin. So I think we're going to continue to see volatility in Bitcoin, especially as now you've got these you know larger institutions um, who can just drop and pump up the price a lot easier than what we've had in the past. But as the price of Bitcoin goes up and up and up to you know five figures, six figures, will this scare away the everyday investor? Because I think I see Bitcoin as actually created for the community by the community. But as the price keeps going up, will it become an elitist coin and something that only seen as you know the wealthy can buy? I think that's a fantastic question, <clears throat> and I think it's a lot more relevant that the government tries to make it an elitist coin and a coin that's highly taxed versus outright banning it. Because one, I mean, they're not going to be able to ban it. Um, so anyways, to answer your question, I think obviously Bitcoin going so much in price, I'll hear newbies try and tell me, you know, oh, well, this coin's only five cents. And if it goes to a dollar, then I'll be rich. And uh, so there's obviously for somebody newer in the space that's getting involved, they're going to maybe be more attracted to uh, a shit coin that has a very low market cap and they want to get rich quick. But um, over time, I think they're, you know, going to get wrecked, which happens. And then they're going to see Bitcoin continue to go up, which obviously happens. And uh, they're going to want to buy Bitcoin. So I also think uh, from a lead from a legal standpoint, I can picture the U.S. government and other governments trying to make it difficult for people to hang on to their own Bitcoin. And that's also, you know, let's say, obviously, these institutions are going to get more and more involved. And uh, companies like PayPal, you can't withdraw your Bitcoin. And if you can't withdraw your Bitcoin and hold your own funds, then that eliminates a a vast part of bitcoin's value proposition of being you know unconfiscatable um and basically bulletproof money to the state so i think ultimately it is up to us to help newcomers uh understand the importance of holding their own coins and uh, to be aware of these things that are happening because the way i look at it is we are uh, literally in a war right now. And, you know, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, all these wars were fought with guns. And uh, this war is fought with information 
and regulatory authority. Um, but it's it's just as much of a war. And the difference is frankly life and death, because if Bitcoin really becomes the world reserve currency, lives will be saved. War will not happen, pro probably not nearly as much. Um, so yeah, I, I think this is a very serious thing that we should all be very aware of. Yeah, that's a really good point about holding on to your coins. Because I mean, Gordon has actually been um, sending our listeners a message that uh, if you leave your coins on exchange, at some point, the government could basically say, no, you're not allowed to remove those coins from exchange. So not your keys, not your coins is something that we teach all our, our clients and, and listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very important. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I just think if we, if we sacrifice for the convenience of just having somebody else hold their coins, then there is no difference between a, a gold 6102 and a Bitcoin 6102. They still have all of the, the ability to take away your money. So, Andrew, you've mentioned so many good points. I'm writing them down. Um, I'd like to delve into all of them. But just going back to what you were talking about, unit bias, I, I couldn't agree more in terms of someone going to Coinbase and looking at price of Bitcoin and looking at the price of Ripple or something else and buying that instead. Uh, hence why I detest Coinbase and all those companies who shill their own shit coins and shit coins for everyone. That's everything except for Bitcoin, including gold. That's a shit coin as well. Um, so I'll, I'm going to ask us two questions. The second question is, what do you recommend um, if someone wants to buy Bitcoin? But before that, and I, I mean, we're all on the same page. We don't think Bitcoin can be banned and it's not going anywhere. But to play the devil's advocate, to be adversarial, if someone, you know, a state actor, an evil dictator, deep state, elitist, globalist, whatever you want to call them, wanted to destroy Bitcoin, how do you think they'll do it? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Um, you know, personally, I've thought like, okay, well, what if they could somehow shut off the electricity grid? Right or have some sort of major impact on uh, the internet system, but I don't think that's possible. I mean, I used to sell internet. I, I don't just because of the global uh, infrastructure. I don't think it would be possible to shut down the entire internet all at once. It just that's not doable. Um, and as long as there, as you guys know, as long as there's one node running somewhere on planet Earth, then Bitcoin will remain alive. So they're clearly not going to be able to attack it through uh, taking away nodes or shutting off the internet. Um, I think, uh, frankly, altcoins are an excellent way to attack Bitcoin because that is, it's just a BS distraction from real money. It's just, it's it, they are scams. Um, and the ones that aren't scams, maybe they're, they're well-intentioned, but Metcalf's law will prove that eventually everything will flow into Bitcoin because human beings just don't want to transact in 10 different currencies. It's not how we, we want to do things. Um, a state, I mean, they, they, a 51% attach, I mean, maybe, but that's also, sorry about that. It's also, I don't think is as big of a deal as, you know, it's, it's purported to be, um, I would say the biggest possible way they could try and attack Bitcoin is through, regulation and even that i mean if they if they regulate it people are still going to find a way to get their hands on it you know it's it's not like 
you know, they, they did a very good job banning drugs and, and marijuana. You know, nobody nobody finds a way to to get their hands on drugs now that they've all been banned, right? So same thing with Bitcoin. People are going to find a way to uh, to access it. I think that's the only way, Andrew. I've, I've, I've been racking my brains for a couple of years, and I think that maybe eventually you won't be able to withdraw your coins from an exchange. You know, you bought KYC Bitcoin and that's it. You can't transfer them off, um, which is why we always encourage people to buy non-KYC Bitcoins if you can. Um, but yeah, that's an excellent point. And that's, and that's, again, going back to the power of Bitcoin, it's, it can't be understated that you can take full custody of Bitcoin and you should take full custody of Bitcoin. Don't leave it on exchange. Don't, don't rent your Bitcoin. And, you know, who knows what, I mean, yes, it's unlikely that something like Coinbase will go bankrupt, but you never know. Um, it's, it's actually more likely that Coinbase gets a, you know, letter from a three letter agency saying, uh, don't allow your customers to withdraw that Bitcoin. So you, you kind of stuck, you got Bitcoin, but it's sort of on, on Coinbase. So uh, that can't be understated. Yeah, I mean, they already have uh, contracts with the IRS and the I believe also the Department of Homeland Security. So that's uh, right there is is your reason for getting off Coinbase. So what do you recommend? Someone wants to buy Bitcoin, maybe a small amount, let's say $100. Uh, what, what do you suggest? Sure. Um, well, if, if they want to buy just $100, I would say just my... My personal standpoint, I would say to go on BISC is, is an option, which for somebody who's a newcomer, that might be a little difficult because it's not that user-friendly, but if they're kind of tech-oriented, then it's possible. Um, local Bitcoins is an option. You know, you also have companies like, uh, you know, if you're in the U.S., River Financial, I, they do, I know they do OTC and they also help with retail um, retail purchasing as well. Um, and, uh, I, aside from that, I mean, other than where to buy it, I would say just look up on YouTube, you know, how, how can you, how do I store my Bitcoin securely? And, you know, if, if it really depends on how, how far they want to take their security, but I would say the, the best step is to get off zero, to download a wallet, to learn how to safely store your private keys. And uh, to try and acquire it uh, in a way that is non-KYC, or at least if it's KYC, do it in a way that's private. Like use uh, Wasabi wallets, another great option for privacy. So again, I mean, even if you're getting it on KYC, like just to be realistic here, if you want to buy a lot of Bitcoin or just continuously buy it, you're going to have to go through KYC. I mean, that's... That, that is oftentimes what people will have to do. And if they are going to have to do that, then you may as well do other privacy practices like Wasabi. And as far as, uh, uh, I mean, that's just $100, but if, if they're my age and they have a good amount of money, I mean, now, now is the time to put a ton of your money into Bitcoin. Um, if you're a senior citizen and you're living off of paychecks from the government, like most senior citizens are, I still think Bitcoin's a very safe investment personally, but um, other people may not. So just to get off zero is the most important thing. Yeah, I can agree with you more, Andrew. It's um, a lot of people, I mean, it's terrifying. Like we're talking about, you know, downloading wallets, um, 
KYC for a lot of people, it's still a very steep learning curve how to get on the Bitcoin. So it's that, you know, one of the first things that we say to people is learn about it before you buy it. Um, what do you think is still one of the a common misconception of Bitcoin that you come across? A myth that you have to debunk? There are so many. There are tons of them. Um, and it's funny, there are so many that uh, Nick Carter made dice to roll because they're just so generic. Uh I, I would say, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, last time I, I was with my family, I had that, you know, you have that one uncle go up to you and tell you it's, it's used for drugs. And um, so I would say Rand, you know, the, the, I, the statistics company, Rand, uh, found that less than 1% of uh, all Bitcoins have been used for illicit purposes. So that's not a legitimate argument against Bitcoin. The volatility is another one. That's also a common one, but we, we went through that. Um, I think energy right now is another uh, especially stupid piece of FUD, um, just given how much, like the banking system consumes so much more energy than Bitcoin and gold consumes 10 times the amount of energy that Bitcoin consumes. So that's another piece of FUD out the window. Um, yeah, I find that is the laziest argument. Like, I'm I'm all up for criticize Bitcoin, and we'll have a conversation. But oh, it uses energy. Yeah, that's to me just the laziest yeah. argument. Yeah, you can it's, come it's virtue so, signaling. They want a virtue signal. And I, I I had a tweet. I said, it's funny how people care so much about Bitcoin's ener energy consumption, but they don't even blink an eye about fiat currency funding these wars that are bombing hmm. bombing the shit out of planet Earth. You know, yeah. So. How many people leave air conditioners on when they don't need to? We talking about that, or you know, lighting up billboards at night? Just oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's easy if they're concerned about energy. I tell them to go live in a tent. That's always an option. Do it if you care. If you don't care about the uh, about the environment, then you're not living in a, in a tent. Um, Andrew, just want to go back to some fundamental stuff, and uh, we try and we don't try and dumb things down, but. Um, People have day jobs and they're not like us and they don't listen to like 10 podcasts a day. You mentioned um, some key economic terms like store of value. Could you explain perhaps uh, briefly the difference between say money and currency and how could Bitcoin ever be? Because one of the biggest arguments is, well, where can I use it? I can't go to the shops and you know buy something with Bitcoin, which I mean, there's so much wrong with that statement anyway, because why would you want to and two, you can't do that with gold anyway. How does Bitcoin get from, say, something like gold, like a store of value to, you know, medium of exchange unit of account? Uh, yeah. So I, the way I've written about it and, and the way I describe it and the way many others describe it is there, there are three fundamental steps that uh, something has to go through in order to be used as a, a money. Um, the first is it has to be a store of value, and that's the first phase which makes sense because you know this thing's new. Um, everybody's buying it. Everybody's adopting it. Human beings collectively agree that okay, this thing has value. I will buy it and hold on to it over time. Um, and then the second phase is for it to be used as a medium of exchange. So as a result of people all collectively storing it because they all collectively agree that it has value, then it makes sense that uh, it would be used for trade. And I think that's, we're just really starting to see that uh, with, I mean, Tesla, I, I personally, I would not 
sell my Bitcoin for a Tesla because I think that's probably the dumbest investment you could possibly do. But uh, if you're a whale, maybe you want to buy a Tesla. Maybe you're just extremely rich. You know, it's, it might make sense to use it as a, as a medium of exchange. And the more widely adopted this thing becomes, then the more it's going to be used um, as a medium of, of exchange. And uh, the third phase is for it to be used as a unit of account. And if you, if you compare it to fiat currency, it's a significantly superior unit of account. Um, people say Bitcoin's volatile. However, uh, fiat currency, you know, talk to your grandma about how, or your grandpa about how easy it was for them to uh, buy a house or just have a high quality of life and times weren't as bad. And, uh, you know, now we've had so much inflation and fiat currency is just a horrible unit of the town. It makes life very, very difficult for people. And Bitcoin has a fixed supply of 21 million. Um, and if everything was on a Bitcoin standard, then we would not have uh, this massive decrease in, in the quality of life. So just to circle back, excellent point, Andrew, um, mentioning that, you know, money is literally a matter of life and death. What, what would that society, what would that world look like if, if you know, we didn't pay $20 for, you know, a pair of, uh, I was going to say a pair of shoes, who buys $20 shoes, a, uh, a pizza, uh, we're paying, you know, in Satoshis. What, what does that world look like? Uh, it's a lot better than the one we're currently in, that's for sure. I mean, I think uh, that for, for me personally, I think the most beautiful aspect of, of the hope that Bitcoin can bring for, for, for our future, for humanity's future, is uh, extremely diminished size of government. Um, and uh, basically, as, uh, as this is pointed out in Austrian economics, governments have two ways of acquiring uh, wealth. They can either steal it through the use of taxation and convince a bunch of people that they have a duty to have their money stolen from them, or they can just steal it through inflation. And uh, they seem to, re to really enjoy doing that. Um, so I, I think we would have a world with probably no wars because your average human being does not want to go to war. Governments wage war with other governments. People don't wage war with people. Uh, so much less war, if not no war at all. Uh, I think people would be working a lot less and they would be spending times, uh, a lot more time with their family. I think the family unit would stay together. I mean, divorce rates wouldn't be as high. Families would be bigger. Um, I think we would have a more moral culture as well. You know, a hundred years ago, people I think had a higher sense of morality than than we do. Then I, I just society as a whole has today, uh, and I think that's largely due to fiat currency because under a Bitcoin standard, people would actually be able to plan for their future and save money for their future. And if you can plan for your future, then that changes your entire life. If you don't know what your future is going to look like, then you're living day by day and having immediate gratification. So, um, and I also think we would, we would have a lot of cool uh, technological innovations. Isn't it funny how, I think if you ask, if the government asks a population, like, do you want to go to war with country X? It's going to cost, you know, a trillion dollars or whatever. Um, everyone would say no, but it's like, well, why ask when you can just print a trillion dollars? I mean, it, it's, I mean, the people, well, I'm, I'm asking a rhetorical question. Um, people are waking up, but I think the average person 
perhaps isn't waking up to this money printing quanti quantitative easing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that is an excellent point you brought up and I talked about it a lot. Uh, the total cost for the Iraq war was about $6 trillion. And if you were to go to every American, you know, and say, hey, uh, this is gonna cost $6 trillion, I don't think nearly as many would be willing to go to war. Maybe they would because uh, they were so emotionally distraught and 9-11, you know, three, three, building, three buildings falling with two planes crashing uh, can get people very emotional. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you and I, I appreciate that sentiment. Yeah, and I think- WTC7. Okay, yeah, I'm happy we're all on the same page. Yeah, I mean, that was a total yeah. sham. It's, yeah. Yep. And I'm saying that as a former Marine, like I, I used to totally believe all that stuff. And I just realized that they basically uh, scammed me. So mm. I'm admitting it. Uh, yeah, I think so. We're using the word, you know, Federal Reserve. We all understand where it's coming from. I think the majority of people still don't understand how the currency works. They don't understand what the Federal Reserve does. They don't even understand inflation. And that's, you know, not to be expected. We've had the time to delve into that. But I think globally, people are under the feeling that something's wrong. I'm working very hard and, you know, I am not making ends meet. That's not right. So, and this has happened before, like 100 years ago, this happened. And, you know, I believe in, you know, the cycles in history. And we are at the beginning of a new 100-year cycle. And this is a large part of why we're seeing protests around the world, why we're seeing um, this disparity of wealth. People are like, hang on why are there so many very, very wealthy people and I'm struggling to make ends meet? And that's where I think people are going to start questioning um, when people say the government should pay for it. I think they're going to start realizing, oh, that's me. That's taxpayers that's going to have to pay for it. Because a lot of people still don't realize that. It's like government should just pay for it. It's like, well, you are the government. That's where they get their money from. So I think people are starting to wake up to that, that something is just not right in the world. And now that they're locked at home and getting paid to be locked at home, they might start actually educating themselves into what is actually going wrong. Are they, Ferris? Yeah, I believe yeah. they are, man. Call, me, call okay. me an idealist or romantic, but hey, I do believe that people do want to learn. I Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, from a, even from a, a spiritual perspective, all money really is, is just a unit of human energy. And uh, that energy has been corrupted by evil people um, who like going to wars and getting nations to collapse and getting people to have experimental injections and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Most people, most people see a serious problem. They don't know what exactly it is. They're, they're starting to discover it. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of young people still want to have money stolen from from uh, wealthy individuals. Yeah, well, that's actually where taxes originally came from was to fund wars, and we just kept it. We figured wars are going to be permanent. Oh, really? I oh, okay. So that's interesting. That's another temporary government measure, right? Yeah. Just how in 1971 the dollar was temporary, temporarily that yeah, temporarily removed from the gold standard. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm really encouraged to hear you bring up all this stuff. Cause for us, when we do these public um, explain Bitcoin to people, half of what we talk about is explaining the gold standard and explaining how the current financial system works. Cause people still don't know that. So when you explain how things work now, 
Then you explain Bitcoin. They do appreciate Bitcoin a lot, lot more once they know how the actual system works today. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. If you just go through the history, I mean, it, it, uh, it's actually a very fun story to tell. You know, you talk about how the Federal Reserve was, the name is a lie. It was created in secrecy. You know, 1944, everybody depends on the U.S. dollar. 1971, the U.S. dollar basically screws over the entire world. And it's, it's now a, a fiat currency with an unlimited supply. So if you go through that history with people, then I think Bitcoin is a very logical conclusion to come to. Do you think, though, um, that, I mean, in 2008, you know, global financial crisis, um, I was expecting sort of, you know, a lot of change, but sort of a little bit more of the same. How far can, for example, the Federal Reserve, how can, how far can they kick the can down the road, do you think? Um, I really wish I knew. I mean, I, that's what everybody wants to know is like, when is the party going to end? Because everybody knows it's going to end. Um, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think we're very close to the end. If you look at other historical examples of uh, central banks printing this amount of money, they usually hockey stick. And then after they hockey stick, the currency experiences a collapse. So I don't, I don't think we're too far off. I, I mean, just for fun to throw around a real number, I would say maybe one to three years, the U.S. dollar will be totally replaced by something else, will be totally done. That's my guess. But I, I don't know. This is not will financial it, advice. Will oh. it be replaced by the digital dollar? Uh, I think it definitely will be. And I, I don't, I hope this doesn't uh, offend anyone. Uh, but I, to me, I mean, I think they're clearly pushing uh, a digital dollar because they hate cash and their war on cash is very apparent through this uh, COVID-1984 thing going on. Um, I was, I actually live in, live in Mexico, uh, the real land of the free. And when I was visiting <laughs> the U.S. a few months ago, uh, I couldn't transact in cash in a lot of places because of uh, the spreading the coronavirus. So, quote, spreading the coronavirus. Um, so they want to get rid of it and they want to become more authoritarian and CBDCs are a very good way to do so. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the US dollar because I mean, I think to this date, 70% of total global wealth is still US dollar based. And in the last 100 years, we had had three different reserve currencies. So it's not unusual for a reserve currency to come and go. And it's been, I mean, it's been 50 years. Yeah. Historically, I mean, it's time historically. Yep. So we'll see. We also haven't any, had anything like this, though, where the US has had the, the most powerful monolithic military that's just the, the world's police force, and, you know, all this money going into military spending. And that's basically the reason the US dollar has values because they, I mean, Paul Kruger, like the, the most esteemed economist by the, the US government said the US dollar is backed by men with guns. So yeah. as long as they can keep that going, then the US dollar will remain alive, but that's not going to be forever. Oh, but in the last 15 years, we've actually started to see the withdrawal and closure of US bases around the world. I hope so. Yeah. We have no reason to be <laughs> over anywhere other than the United States. Um, 
Okay, I think you've given me a lot to think about, and I actually could go for a second episode just based on what you've told us, Henry. But uh, Gordon, do you have any more questions off the top of your head? I'm kind of got a lot going around in my head, and I can't. I, I was going to go down a rabbit hole of aircraft carriers and Chinese <laughs> in the in the uh, South China Sea, but I won't. Perhaps for a for a second time. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd actually uh, like to go into your being an actual man, but maybe for another time, Andrew. Is there anything? That we haven't asked, or is there anything you want to get off your chest, or anything you want to um, say to our audience? Um, I I would say uh, buy Bitcoin. Obviously, I, I have to say that you got to buy Bitcoin. Um, I would also say uh, study Austrian economics. It, it's real. Uh, it's real economics. You know, they they don't show you all these complicated models, and you know, it, it just it's a uh, kind of common sense stuff if you really start to educate yourself on it. And for me, it really explains much of how the earth works. Um, and uh, I I just think guys, again, I the last thing I would say is like, I wanna emphasize, I really do believe we're in a war right now. We're in a war of disinformation, of uh, getting getting people to be locked down in their homes, which is a known torture torture tactic. They want people basically, here's what they want. They want you poor as hell. They want you dependent on the government. They want you dependent on the grocery store. They want you not owning a home. They want you completely dependent on their system. And Bitcoin is the fastest way out of that. Um, can agree more. Now, just one thing, Andrew, can you tell us your Bitcoin origin story? How did you first get into it when you first buy it? What was your Eureka aha moment? Uh, yeah, I, I love I love that. Um, I found about I found out about Bitcoin when I was uh, like probably nineteen in the in the Marine Corps, and um, you know I I, I was uh, was called a recon Marine, which is one of the two special operations jobs that the Marine Corps has to offer. So I was basically super brainwashed and wanted to be all hardcore and all, all badass. And, you know, I was in that, in that lifestyle. And then I picked up the book. Uh, you ever heard of the book, the creature from Jekyll Island? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What sure. about the federal reserve? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you have. Yeah. And uh, that totally blew my mind. I mean, I, I basically realized like, wow, uh, Wars is a total scam. Central banking is a total scam. I felt mad that I wasn't taught this until I was 19. And uh, then I found out about uh, Bitcoin shortly after because I was, you know, into libertarianism. And so naturally I found out about Bitcoin and like early 2017, I bought some and I've hung on to it. Um, and I mean, after learning about all that, I basically like I, I could not find a way to uh, support the U.S. military. I, I just didn't see that as a moral act anymore. And Bitcoin had a lot to do with that process. Um, so eventually I got out of the military under an honorable discharge. But uh, yeah, Bitcoin really changed my life in a very major way. Wow, that's quite a huge turnaround, Andrew. That's uh, yeah, it's something. Um, yeah, the, the funny thing about that book is that the author, since it came out, he's been criticized for the book, but he's basically had his website. It's like, all right, which part of the book are you criticizing? What fact have I got wrong? No one's actually managed to criticize one point. They just want to criticize the whole idea. That's a lot more convenient, right? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of actually reading the book. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, we appreciate you coming on, Andrew. You mentioned, as far as uh, said before, you mentioned uh, quite a few um, deep and meaningful topics, and we'd like to uh, perhaps come have you back on if you were agreeable to do that. I would love to. Um, That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate your time. And before you uh, leave, how about you give us your details and where people can find out more about you? Yeah, so uh, I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Andrew underscore J underscore Howard. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn as well, just Andrew Howard. Bitcoin Reserve is the company. Uh, and I'll, yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm also going to be starting a podcast uh, within the next couple to few weeks. And uh, that'll be posted on my Twitter. And I'm just going to be talking about outside of the box stuff like Bitcoin and you know, anarcho-capitalism and all that fun stuff. So, yeah. Awesome. That's fantastic. And uh, by the way, I love your quote on your LinkedIn page, which is, uh, I'll just read it. Uh, In the end, fiat money returns to its inner value, zero. Fact. It's It's Voltaire, isn't it? Yep. Yep. That's such a good quote. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, again, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, it was a great time talking about this, and I, I really look forward to the next episode. No, it's been a real pleasure for us. Thanks, Thank Andrew. You much, Andrew. We, okay. we never specify a time to get people back on, like six months or three months. Away. We just specify a price. So <laughs> do you want to come back on when it's 100000 Uh Yeah, so I'll see you like next week, basically, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, next week, yeah. I hope. I probably not next week, but it'll happen soon for sure. Yeah. Let's do Thanks, it. Thanks, Andrew. Thank All you, right, guys. Peace. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com slash free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad free. Until next time.